Return, O virgin daughter of Israel, to these your highways by which you went. Welcome to Reunion Roadmap, a place to discover the people and communities along the highway of restoration for Israel's House of Joseph. Reunion Roadmap is a B'nai Yosef, North America production. Be our guest for the next hour as we meet the people of the emerging House of Joseph here in North America. Hello, this is Stefani Pappas from B'nai Yosef, North America. And with me is Alma Karn, B'nai Yosef, North America's Executive Director. We are going to part two of our interview with Bob O'Dell. That's not right. This is another one of those big stories. We have a three-part interview with Bob. In our first segment, we heard about his working with Israeli companies when he was in the high-tech industry. We heard of his testimony, how the Lord had blessed him when he sold his company and was able to spend some time just asking the Lord, what next? Studying, reading the scriptures, praying, and now the what next is coming. And I think what we'll see in this whole show, Tsefania, is a connection of the concepts of repentance, the concepts of reconciliation and restoration. It flows all the way through what Bob is sharing with us and the music that we're going to hear from Yvette Adonai and then from Solomon Lopez, and also what Barry and David will be sharing in the Midrash in the second half of the program. What we'll hear, and we can talk more about this uh, in the closing portion of the show after we've heard all this, but you know, this concept of repentance or teshuva, it's more than just an individual thing. And I believe that's what we are beginning to understand in this walk that we have been called down and in the identity that is being revealed to us. Yes. You know, in Messiah, we're, we're Abraham's seed. In Messiah, we are joined yeah. to the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, the covenant of Israel. So with understanding that identity, then comes the question, well, who is my brother? How have I treated him all this time? That is something I would encourage our listeners to pay yeah. attention to as you hear Bob O'Dell when he speaks in the next few minutes. So why don't we head on out to Austin, Texas? And oh, by the way, let me mention as well the website 9-av.com, 9thofav.com. Bob will get to that in the third part of our interview with him. But in this second part, he will lay the groundwork. Go there and uh, find out what's going to be happening in Jerusalem this summer, right around the 9th of Av. That will give you something to listen for as you hear Bob's remarks. So let's go on out to Austin and continue our conversation. As far as my studies go, every time I ran into some book that was listing, listing some events where uh, the, the Jews had been persecuted, I just threw it into a spreadsheet. I had many spreadsheets kept for many different purposes. And so I began keeping a spreadsheet with, you know, the date and a brief description of the event. And if there were deaths, how many deaths and just, you know, as part of my research. And I was reading all kinds of books. And every time I was reading another book, they were mentioning more events. And they weren't exactly the same events that I'd read in the other book. And so I kept adding to my spreadsheet. And here I was, I had been working with Jews for 25 years. And I didn't even know 
what the ninth of Av was. I didn't know that there was a date in the summer where the Jews fasted and prayed because of the destruction of the first temple and the destruction of the second temple and that other key events had happened on this date in history. And by the time summer rolled around, first of all, I was struggling with my research. I could not validate the theories that people were putting forward about the blood moons based on the facts. I was looking to try to validate it, but I couldn't. And so I was very frustrated. I decided now that I know what the ninth of Av actually is, why don't I stop my research for a day? Why don't I stop? And maybe I could fast, you know, I could uh, stop if the Jews are mourning on this day. And, and I said, oh, I've got that list of all these historical events. Uh, I could probably take that list and uh, maybe I could review that list on the 9th of Av, and that would be my, my, uh, my thing to do in 2013. So I thought, yeah, that would be good. So I went to the list, and I sorted it, and oh, oh my, there's 500 items in my list. I had almost 500 persecution events that I had collected. I, I wasn't trying to count them. I was just tossing them in there. So I realized I could take one minute on each, and it would take an entire day. Okay, that's what I'll do. I will start, start at 8 o'clock in the morning on the 9th of Av, and I will spend one minute looking at each line item that I had put into my list. And so that's what I did. I started at 8 o'clock, and I spent one minute. And I just tried to kind of think about it. I, I didn't feel like I should pray. I didn't feel like I should try to repent or anything. But just, just look at it. So I read it, spend one minute, just try to imagine what it would be like to be in it. Did the next one, the next one, the next one. And so this went on and on. 500 events would take eight hours to go through. By the time I got to one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon, I was getting into the 11, 1200s. I mean, it was, just, it was getting worse and worse as the morning went on. By the time I got into the early afternoons and I saw all that was on this, uh, this list, it, it's like it broke me. You know, we think of persecution of Jews. Yes. What is the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, the Holocaust, which the Shoah is the Hebrew term, the great disaster. And that's a word, as my friend Mike Clayton says, a word that we need to learn. We think of that. We think of the Spanish Inquisition. We think of the Crusades, perhaps. But what else were you finding? I had hardly even gotten to the Crusades by the time that I was undone. So it starts off with the writings of the Church Fathers. Church fathers whose names I had, had heard and had respected, and yet buried in, not, not really necessarily buried, but along with all of the beautiful things they're writing, they began to speak against the Jews as evil, as of the devil, as ignorant, as Christ killers, and so forth. So, so that began to happen as early as 100 AD, 100 through 300 AD. And then after Constantine separated, Easter, created Easter and separated it from Passover, and a number of things begin to happen, and you start to see restrictions being placed against the Jewish people. There's also expulsions that happened all uh, through history. Um, the first one recorded in the Bible is uh, in about 55, excuse me, about 50 uh, AD with uh, Claudius, I believe. Yes. In fact, that's how Paul met Achilla and Priscilla, if I recall. Exactly. Yeah, because exactly. Caesar Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome, which happened from time to time. It did happen from time to time. And since the Council of Nicaea and so forth, the Roman Catholic Church began to take efforts to restrict. Now, they weren't killing, but they were restricting. And that began to build up over time 
into which I would say, I w- it would be tempted to say things just got steadily worse. In a way, they did. But there was one century in which there was a vacuum of recorded persecution against the Jews, the century of the 700s. The reason is that that was the century in which Islam was coming full force against Europe. Mm. And so they had some really big things to deal with in that century. Yeah. Now, let me put on my historian hat here and tell our listeners who may not be familiar with the story. Islam began in the year 622 when Muhammad made his hijra, his move from Medina to Mecca. Within a century, the Muslim expansion had conquered all the Arabian Peninsula. They had taken Jerusalem and driven the Byzantine Empire out of the Holy Land and out of Syria. They had expanded all the way across North Africa and in the year 711 crossed into Spain. And there was a Muslim presence in Spain and the Iberian Peninsula all the way up to the year 1492. And oh, by the way, the expansion of the Islamic Empire went all the way to central France. It was in the year 732 that that expansion was stopped in the West. So what you're telling me, Bob, is that this Islamic threat to the Eastern Church in Constantinople and the Western Church in Rome is what caused all the Christian nations of Europe to cease paying attention to the Jews. Yes, because at the time they considered Islam to be a severe threat to the work of Christ. Just a quick aside, fast forward to today. In a sense, Islam is a threat again and is is growing in strength. Isn't it amazing, though, to consider the possibility of part of the church actually joining with Islam and, and creating this sort of super religion? I mean, there's, that's one way to look at some of the you know, prophecies of, of what may happen in the future, and which would be an even greater – a joined forces is much more dangerous than, uh, than forces that fight, you know? Right. And this is something – as we're recording this – It was just a few days ago that we had the news of Pope Francis signing an accord with Islamic leaders. Yes. So so what you're speaking is not entirely out of left field. It's something to pay attention to and see what, what is happening here. Yes, yes. So... As I looked at history, I began to see just you know all kinds of things. Uh, there was there was pogroms, you know, there was killings, there was riots against uh, Jewish homes. There was forcing uh, the Jews to wear special clothing. There would be an expulsion of the Jews from a town or a region over and over and over again. Uh, especially in uh, in Europe, there would be special laws that went into effect to restrict Jewish life. There was a restriction of the kinds of jobs that Jews could have. Uh, I mentioned anti-Semitic writings. Then there's just outright humiliations. There would be the burning of their books, you know, the, the, uh, their, their Torah scrolls and, uh, and, and their studies uh, with the Talmud and so forth. There would be mob attacks. Then there would be blaming the Jews for natural disasters Blaming of the Jews for plagues, blaming of the Jews for uh, a certain killing here or there in the town, burning the synagogues and accusing them of doing awful things, just absolutely awful things that weren't true. And, you know, as I read these things that day, it wasn't just the events themselves that were so striking. It was 
the fact that I didn't know them, I had never heard any of this before, and it was the absence of something. There was no record of organized, violent response by the Jews to any of it. They didn't organize and go kill in return. They didn't attack in return. Instead, as I began to look at history, there would be inventions and innovations that would be brought out from the Jewish people. They were the navigators, for instance, that helped Christopher Columbus, you know, get to the new world. The printing press was invented by a Jew. There was many examples like that. It's almost like all this stuff is happening and they're just trying to like, can we like maybe give something to the world that would help change this for good? So all of this together, I used the word undone. I had, I just had no response. And this was on the 9th of Av, 2013. Yes, January, uh, July 16th, uh, 2013. So you have been just reading through your list, spending a minute on each event that you've recorded. You've gotten up to the, you know, the 11th century. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. And then what happened? I stopped. I stopped. I, I just, I couldn't continue. It wasn't like I hadn't fasted before. It really wasn't a physical thing. It, it was, I mean, it was, it was a, a revealing of all of this. And yet I'd worked with Jews for 25 years. I didn't know this history. I thought about that aspect of my life. And God gave me no answer. Mm-hmm. He gave me no remedy. It's like, it's like uh, looking back, it was like God say, you know what? Why don't you, son, why don't you just carry this a little bit mm-hmm. in your own small way? Why don't you just carry this a little bit along with me? I've been carrying this, you know, the God knows the history. Yeshua knows the history. He's been carrying this awful history uh, in his heart. And so I didn't know what to do. Finally, around Yom Kippur, I did repent. I began to kind of write out my repentance to the Lord. And I cried out, why could this, why did this happen? What, you know, and I, in my own personal way, I just wrote down some prayers of repentance uh, to God. I wouldn't say anything special happened in, you know, I didn't get any special revelation or anything, but over the coming weeks after the Yom Kippur on that year, of course, I knew not a lot more about Yom Kippur at that time because I had to study some of my Hebrew roots to do this research. But over the next weeks, I just kind of before God made a decision, you know, God was saying, what's in your heart? What do you want to do? What's in your heart during this nine months? And I said, you know, what's in my heart, God, is... um, I think I just got to do something. I don't think I can plot the course that I was going to plot. I don't think that I could start another business now. You know, I had imagined, uh, I'd imagined a lot of things that I could do, but now it's like, wait, how can I do something that would serve the Jewish people who have been so wronged? You know, real repentance is doing something different, right? It's, you know, turning around, going in a different direction. So what action could I take? That's how I felt I was being challenged. So I had this idea. I've been working with secular Jews, wonderful people, but secular Jews for 25 years. I knew a few Orthodox, just a few. Could I talk to them and maybe they could help me, introduce me to a few people? But could I go to Israel? What if I were to go to Israel in January of 2014, maybe even go to Jerusalem, and maybe God would bring me in contact with Orthodox Jews Maybe I could like use my business experience to consult 
maybe I could help some. And uh, maybe some of them wanted to start a business. Well, I've done that. I could probably be a very helpful advisor to help. Or maybe they already have an organization, whether it's a nonprofit organization or a for-profit. I worked in both, and maybe I could be an advisor. So I had this idea that I would, that's what I do. And um, so I did. I made arrangements to go to Jerusalem. Through some coincidences, God had given me a conference that I could uh, attend there, a uh, conference in Jerusalem uh, from a pro-Israel Christian woman that I had met a few months earlier named Christine Darg. Anyway, I went to Jerusalem, and at this conference, she had invited an Orthodox Jew to attend and help us pray. His name was Gidon Ariel. So Christine Darg introduces me to Gidon Ariel. Where do I meet him? I meet him up above the Jaffa Gate on the walls of Jerusalem because that's where our prayer time was going to be. We were going to go up onto the walls of Jerusalem to stand as watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem to learn how to pray as watchmen and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so Gidon was invited to help us pray with deeper insight. So he would read verses, you know, out of the Tanakh, out of the Old Testament. And then he would release us to pray in our Christian ways. <laughs> so we were, we were doing our Christian prayers and, you know, we'd pray in the name of Yeshua and we'd try to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and so forth. And I was, you know, just part of this event. It was great. And that went fine. It was a really weird day that day. Things were going on in the heavens. Things were swirling in the clouds. I even took photographs. It was so amazing. And I, and I still have those today and treasure them. But after the prayer time is over, Gedon standing on the walls of Jerusalem, and I have a picture of him at this uh, point. And he says, um, okay, now that we're done with the prayer time, I have an announcement to make. I had an idea come to me a few days ago, and my wife tells me this is the best idea I ever had. How many of you Christians standing here, and there was about 20, 25 of us there, how many of you Christians here would be interested in being part of an online yeshiva? Now, I don't even know what the word yeshiva means. <laughs> I don't know that it means a school of Jewish learning, but it didn't matter because that's when God spoke to me and said, that's your man, which I took to mean this is an Orthodox Jew to which I should help. I was coming to look for Jews to consult for or consult with. And so I said, oh, okay, great. This is the first of the Jews that God is going to lead me to. But you know what? I would go back and I listen to God's words. God didn't say this was your first man. He said, this is your man. That's what he said. So I went up to Gadon and said, hey, I'd like to meet with you and learn more about this idea you have. And so we began to interact uh, over the days and weeks and months ahead. And by April 1st, 2014, which happened to be Nissan one on that particular year, on April 1st, 2014, we had decided together that I would help him to launch his vision root source, which is Israeli Jews teaching Christians worldwide over the internet. And that's the root-source.com I mentioned earlier. And so this was his idea and I was helping him. Now I wanted to be a consultant behind the scenes, but he would have none of that. He said, I, I don't need a consultant behind the scenes. I need a friend. I need a partner. So while I was willing to just serve, because I felt that that's how that's what repentance would look like. Repentance would be not lording it over the Jews, but just coming in humble service and to come alongside. He wanted a partner. So eventually he convinced me. I, I actually, I resisted it for weeks, but finally the Lord said, it's okay. It's okay. You, you can do it. You, you can, it's all right to be his partner. I, I love this idea that here I was coming to be 
of service to Jews. But his idea was, no, let's be peers. Let's be peers. So he elevated me up to the role of partner. But then, of course, I said, wait, 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 wait. This company needs a CEO. You're willing to be the CEO, right? (laughs) He said, yes, okay. All right. So I referred to him as the CEO of RootSource. And he refers to me as his partner in RootSource. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. It's an unlikely partnership, which means God must be in it. (laughs) And that was 2014. So you're going on five years now that RootSource has been in existence. Yes, yes. What are some of the milestones that you and Gidon and those with you have been able to achieve? Well, God actually ended up using the blood moons to help launch RootSource later on. And I don't have time to tell that story, but it's in our book. One of our books is Israel First. And so uh, Israel First, so you can also get it on root-source.com. And and that kind of tells the story of really how God launched RootSource, even from that initial idea of the two of us and got us beautifully uh, on the map. Uh, We've come to see that the blood moons are something beautiful. They're not a harbinger of doom, but rather a celebration of God's goodness. But that's a story for uh, another time. And now enjoy Yved Adonai singing How Good and Pleasant. You can find more of their music at yvedadonai.com.
Hello and welcome to the Midrash portion of today's Reunion Roadmap. This is Barry Phillips coming to you from Gloucester, Virginia and from Brandon, Florida. It's fellow, let me say that correctly, fellow, not feller, fellow, uh, being an elder, David Jones. David, I can't speak well today, but I trust that you're able uh, to, to help me out a little bit. How are you? Uh, good, brother. I think we can speak a little good, that learning right there. Uh, yeah, well, you know, the roots of my raisin is coming out just a little bit. There. I say feller fits because I was born in Kentucky, so, you know, that well, works too. <laughs> I was raised in a place called Grassy Creek, so uh, I can say feller if I want to. You, anyway. You go for it. I appreciate the fact that you did not uh, condemn me or castigate me or overly criticize me for erroneous speech. But rather, you, you, you turned that around to a pleasant thing. Speaking into somebody's life, we kind of left off on this last week in the Midrash portion. Speaking into someone's life is uh, a role as elders that we are called upon at times to do. And between the two of us, we've been around the block a few times. A little you know, bit. We, we've handled in our in our experiences some congregational upsets. We've we've had to deal with um, people that um, were walking in error or were choosing a wrong path. We've had to offer some correction. I, I'm sure that we have both succeeded and failed to succeed at that effort at times. Uh, this level of leadership and um, uh, input into people's lives is not always a very pleasant thing. Sometimes you have to tell people what you know, A, they don't want to hear, and B, they're probably not going to receive it very well. That uh, There have been those occasions uh, where folks have come back and said, you know, you're right. What you said is right, and the more I prayed about it, the more I thought about it, the more I realized I, I, I do need to take care of this. Other times, we have just lost relationships altogether. So let's talk today about dealing with uh, people who need to receive some version or form of correction and help, but in two aspects. Number one, how do you properly how do you properly do that? What is the right technique? Are you to always seek to be diplomatic and tactful, or do sometimes you just need to be your, uh, uh, just like a ball peen hammer and be blunt? And then the second part of that, how do you receive that correction? Because even as elders and even you know at the stations of life that we're in. It, we're not beyond a place where sometimes people just need to tell us what we need to hear. Mm-hmm. So I'm calling for your wisdom today, brother. Tell me what we needed to. Uh, well, I can help. I can help give us some input, and hopefully, all of us together can help come up with a decent, uh, decent answer to this. Because <laughs> I don't think any of us have one. I mean, everybody's different, and everybody has different uh, perceptions of reality and experiences, and our experiences have shaped how we receive certain 
phrases, situations, different things. So uh, in order to understand that, I think relationship is a big key. Um, if we don't have a relationship with someone in some type of relationship, uh, we do we have uh, the means to speak into their life where they, where they will receive something like that from us? I mean, mm-hmm. um, if you come to someone and... and they're, they don't like what they're saying. One of the first common responses is, who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's pause there for a second. It, it is common for, at least it was, as I was uh, being trained and conditioned uh, in pastoral ministry, there was a certain expectation of separation, You can't be buddy-buddy with your congregational members. You have to maintain this pastoral relationship, which oftentimes uh, calls people to feel like you were aloof, as my wife would say. You are um, – you're not down in the trenches with them enough. You're, You're kind of standing around wearing your badge and title. At that point you speak into somebody's life and they say, well, buddy, who do you think you are? Well, I'm your pastor. Flashing badge and title at someone to demand that they hear you, that's not always sufficient, is it? No, not really. Uh, again, we're, we're talking relationship. I mean, is this uh, just a matter of someone coming by and, you know, hey, I'm, I'm the police around here kind of a thing, or is this... Um, <laughs> <laughs> or, or is this a relationship? I mean, you can say, well, I'm your pastor, but if yet you guys don't have the real, that kind of a relationship, you might have the look of it, but you don't have that relationship, mm-hmm. then that does make a difference as well. I mean, there's a there's a time and a means to be diplomatic and a time's not to be. And, and um, I mean, Yeshua, when he started turning over the money changers tables, you know, yeah, that that's not very diplomatic, is it? But that, not is, much. But that was necessary. He made his point. He did make his point, um, and he told him what he needed to tell him too. <laughs> yeah. But here we're talking about bringing bringing issues to a brother. I mean, Scripture tells us in Leviticus uh, nineteen seventeen, "Don't hate your brother, but reason frankly with him." Um, that means if we love our brother, if we do care about those around us, we will be frank with them. We will deal uh, truthfully with them. The, and, and I think the problem comes in with how we do that. Um, are we speaking the truth to someone or our perception of the truth? Because sometimes there's a better way to say it. Because we care and we see things that might not be doing good or things that might end up being hurtful or harmful. Or do we share out of the sense of I'm right. And you need to see that I'm right because you're wrong. And I think this is where a lot of the problems come in. If we're sharing with someone because we actually care about them and we have that relationship with them, it would be easier received even when they don't want to hear it. Uh, how many of us truly, you know, love it when we we have our stuff got into and we're things that we need to change or things that we don't want to see or may not see? Uh, scripture says correction doesn't feel good, but it pr- it produces righteousness, and uh, I think that's the key where we need to look at. So let's let's have an example here. You have a congregant that is down in the dumps. 
life has not been fun for them. Maybe they're not succeeding. Maybe a lot, you know, they, they've, feel like I run my options out and I'm just woe is me and I'm going to, I'm going to sit here. Do you look at them and hold their hands and say, well, let's, let's pray about the matter. Do you take the gentle approach or is it, you know, and let's just say it's a long-term congregant, you know, they, they, they're a, a beneficiary of teaching for a long period of time you know them, you, you've had dinners with them, you have succoded with them, you, you've done all these things. You, there, there's a long-term relationship. They're down, they're depressed, they're just not functioning well, they're not attending worship, they're, they're, they're falling through the cracks. Is it hand-holding time, nurturing, sweet time, or do you look at them and say, suck it up, cupcake, let's get going. There's work to do. You don't have opportunity to sit here and feel sorry for yourself. I need you. The kingdom needs you. What are you doing? Uh, yeah, this is this is kind of what I'm getting at. You know, if it's it's the relationship that allows us to to do that, and you can be frank with someone, you can deal directly with people. But again, you know how we do that is an issue. If we if sometimes we need a gentle hand, and sometimes we need a swift kick in the in the behind. I mean, come on, let's be real. Um, but that's where knowing each other knows when when what needs to be done. And um, there are times we need to say, look, man, I know you I know you're just having a rough time or you just got a bad case of I don't want to. I mean, clinical depression is kind of a different thing. But I mean, if we're just saying, you know, look, you just lost your zeal, you lost your passion. What's going on? Let's let's fix it. You know, let's find what we need. <laughs> let's let's dig in there and see what we got to pull out. And um, that's not fun. That's not easy. But sometimes we get we got to jump in there and see the things we don't want to see. And that's that's not done with a um, with with like a little uh, artist brush. You know, you need a backhoe to get in there, you know, so, like archaeological dig kind of a thing. On the opposite side of this coin, then, David, you're on the receiving end. Someone comes to you and they're admonishing you, encouraging you, trying to help you to see there is an issue. It's stunning your growth. It's hindering you. It's. Uh, you're not relating well with those that are around you. What's going on? How do how do you receive that? You may not feel like that there's a problem. You may want to say, "Buddy, that's just me." And if you want me around, that's you're just going to have to take uh, uh, the salt with the sugar around here because uh, that that's <laughs> that's the way I am. Um. Uh, we get defensive yeah. and we're going, you know, as we were talking about last week, the spirit of offense comes up. Um, that's where that, that's where that, well, who do you think you are comes in? It's that uh, we, we, we want to flip that. We say, I don't want to hear you because, you know. So if someone comes to David Jones and they're offering to him a sense of correction and admonishment to change, what is, what is your scriptural required response um now you see you had to throw that word in there 
well, we're not going to let you off the hook, brother. We're going to fix this thing right here, right now. You say, ask me what I what I would do and what a scriptural response would be is two completely different answers, Barry. You know that. Well, see, um, that, and then we need to fix that. You got to start. Well, I, the I, don't, here, I don't see it that way. Well, I don't know. No, I'm kidding. It's like, okay, no, we're, <laughs> we're going off on examples. Um, our, our response is to hear somebody out. Um Maybe maybe there are areas that, that we do need to change, and we're blindsided. But our brothers, I mean, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, you kind of are. Uh, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about relationship and dealing with directly with those around you, your brother, your yes. neighbor, and, and to help each other out. And if we're told in the scripture, don't hate your brother, but reason frankly with them, I believe that's both sides of the coin. If someone comes to you and says, look, I have some concerns— uh, I think we at least need to hear it out and and to find out if there is anything legitimate there or not. Um, if there is, we deal with it. If not, you know, deal with it that way too. But we do need to hear each other. Even Yeshua says, so if you go and you bring your uh, gift there to the altar and your your brother has an issue with you, leave leave that there. Go make amends with your brother, then come back and bring your gift. Um, so we do have a responsibility to at least hear each other out because even if it's not an issue with me even if it is a perception problem that still needs worked out too and um and, and so both sides of this if there is an issue that i need to change and i'm not willing to see it then am i truly you know searching wholeheartedly to to change for the better of the kingdom um but we need to be able to hear each other so our, our tendency is you know, someone comes to us and they offer some some form of insight and correction. Uh, we tend to, to rationalize. Well, they're coming to me and they're saying that I need to change about this. No, let's let's look at them. You know, they're they're doing this over here, and you know, why why aren't they more worried about what they're doing over there than mm. what I'm doing on on this side? Deflecting. Or why, why didn't they say something to this other guy? What he's doing is a lot worse than what I might be doing. You can't do that because the issue is not someone else. The issue is you. Are you willing to listen? At least take it into prayer. And chances are that if you talk to your spouse about it, they're going to say, you know what? They're right. You need to fix that. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> just throw yeah. that out there for the last thought. So we're coming, unfortunately, down to about the last 15 seconds or so. Your final thought, and take us out, David. Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and, and, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, we, we, let's, let's learn to work together in this kingdom so that we can see the presence of the Father. When we dwell in unity, the Father will dwell among us. Amen. Amen. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. From Solomon Lopez and the Hebraism Music Project, here is How Could We? Available at Hebraism.org. By the rivers of Babylon There we sat down and we wept As we remember Sion 
And all the promises we made that were not kept. And our captors asked us for the words of a song. And they mocked us, saying, Sing to us a song of Sion. Sing to us a song of Sion. How could we sing your songs on
And you have just heard Solomon Lopez saying, how could we? And also we heard our elders, Barry Phillips and David Jones, talking about offenses, kind of a part two of what we heard last week. And how do all these relate to one another, Al? Well, it all fits together in the concept of recognizing where we have erred in God's righteous standards. Now, Solomon's song, How Could We?, is an updated rendition of Psalm 137. So let me just share that from the New King James. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it, for there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's songs in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Oh my, that ends rather uncomfortably. But then it begins rather uncomfortably as well. And here, Sophania, is where I think it ties in. Solomon has come very well, Solomon Lopez, that is, our, our musician <laughs> yes. friend, he has come to the understanding of his identity as a Hebrew, of the house of Joseph, house of Yosef, an Ephraimite, so to speak. And you and I have come to that understanding as well. Yes. What we realize is that we are living in exile from the land that was promised to our fathers and mothers and to us, their seed, the land of Israel. Now, our Jewish brothers and sisters have never lost that identity. And it was a Jewish psalmist who wrote Psalm 137 while the nation was being carried away into Babylon, into exile. So what Solomon's done is updated it to right now where we live in the United States of America and said, we're not that much different. Now, let me tie this also to what Bob Odell was sharing with us about the ninth of Av, and he, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is now aware of the ninth of Av and of what has happened between the Jewish people and followers of Yeshua all these centuries. What has happened is that the Jews understand their exile. The Jews understand what they did wrong as a people to be cut out from the covenant, to be cast out of the land, to see the Lord's holy city, Jerusalem, destroyed and the temple within it destroyed. And they have repented and continue to pray and repent and fast year after year, day after day, week after week, asking for the full redemption. Have we done the same thing? You know, it occurs to me that when Yeshua told his disciples to pray Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He's telling the disciples, which means us too, to pray the same prayer that our Jewish brethren have been praying all along, which is restore the entire kingdom of Israel and restore us to your land and complete your covenant. 
what's happening now as Bob, who was a Christian, is recognizing the need to repent and fast and stand alongside Jews and on the ninth of Av? Well, it means something's happening in the body at large. And we're beginning to understand a new level, a new facet of repentance, a new understanding of the offenses that we have caused and the correction that is coming upon us and that we have not yet acknowledged this correction. Perhaps this brings us all closer to that final restoration and Messiah's kingdom being established in completeness on the earth. So that's the tale of my thoughts, Stefania. And uh, I look forward to sharing with all our audience uh, the remainder of Bob's interview next week. But unfortunately, we have run out of time on this segment of Reunion Roadmap. So, Stefania, I hope you and your family have a pleasant week. I hope all of you who are listening have a pleasant week. We look forward to bringing another Reunion Roadmap to you in a few days' time. Thank you for joining us on the Reunion Roadmap, a production of B'nai Yosef North America. Please come back next week for another visit with the people of the Emerging House of Joseph here in North America.